Good morning, everybody. Good to see y'all this morning. We are talking about the birth of Jesus today, and we are finishing out our series called Prepare the Way for the Lord. We are in the fourth and final week of Advent, and we are ending this series. But just as a review for those who haven't been here, we led off with Matthew's Gospel, specifically the genealogy, which is people's favorite reading in the New Testament, and taught us about how the Messiah, Jesus, came at just the right time for Israel. The royal family of David was completely underground, and Jesus came and uh, sat on the throne of David. We also talked about Joseph, his father, who the angel had to go and, and explain to him how uh, Jesus was conceived. Joseph did not understand and was planning on breaking off his engagement with Mary, but due to that angelic intervention, Joseph brought in Mary and her son into his home as a uh, husband and father. Last week, we talked about John's gospel and how the world was not prepared for Jesus. The world loves darkness, and when the light of the world comes into the world, uh, we reject that, that light of the world. Then we talked about Luke's gospel a couple of weeks ago. First, about Zechariah. He was a priest married to a woman named Elizabeth. They had gone their whole marriage without ever being able to have children. And while Zechariah was in the temple in Jerusalem, an angel appeared to him named Gabriel and said that he was going to have a son, John the Baptist, who would prepare the way for Jesus. And Zechariah said, I'm an old man. Uh, my wife is about the same age as me. There's no way we're having any kids. And the angel rebuked him, humbled him, and muted him for nine months. Uh, he really had to be prepared for Jesus' coming. Mary, on the other hand, when the angel Gabriel came to meet her, uh, said that had this royal acclamation for her. He said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Uh, in the kingdom of David, uh, the mother of the king is the queen. And so she had to be prepared for a role she was not expecting. So th this is what we've talked about so far and about all these people who had to be prepared by angels and by God for the coming of Jesus. Now, today's story is full of familiar facts, okay? Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Mary laid him in a manger, and shepherds were one of the first witnesses to see him born. And even if you're not a Christian, even if you didn't grow up in church, a lot of this information still might be familiar to you. You know where Jesus was born, you've heard about the manger, the trough that he was laid in. Uh, you even might know about shepherds because you've been to a nativity in a town square and you've seen little kids running around dressed like shepherds. So these... This information is fine for us to know, and many people who didn't even grow up in church know it. But what's so important is that this information reveals something about God. The question for Christians is why did God want these details to be revealed to us? Why did he choose for these events to unfold in this way? Why does God want Jesus to be born in Bethlehem? Why did God want Jesus to be laid in a manger? Why does God want shepherds to witness the birth of Jesus? Sure, we may know the facts, the information, but we've got to know who Jesus is in light of these questions. So I want to start with each of these and kind of slowly move through the passage. You are welcome to get out the Bibles on your, on your chairs or underneath your chairs and turn to Luke chapter 2. You can kind of follow along if you'd like, if you have a 
Bible with you or in an app on your phone, you can turn to Luke chapter 2 as well. We're not going to reread every single verse, but uh, just for frame of reference, you can have Scripture um, uh, out and ready as we move forward. So let's start with this first question. Why was Jesus born in Bethlehem? If you were listening to Bethany's reading just a second ago, the first verse in chapter 2 of the Gospel of Luke tells us that Caesar Augustus, the emperor of the entire Roman world, the entire Roman Empire, calls a census. And here's the fact. It costs a lot of money to run an empire. And so Caesar has a great idea. There are new people being born into my empire. That means new people I can tax. So if I call a census, if I figure out how many people are in my empire, I can figure out how to tax as many of those poor folks as possible. Okay? So everybody has to go back to their hometown and register. You might be aware of that part of the story. But here's what I found out in studying this passage. Technically speaking, the law says, the Roman law says, that only one person in each family is required to go to their hometown, the head of the family. Joseph could have gone by himself all the way down to Bethlehem to enroll in this census. So why would he take Mary with him? I joked about this last week, but it seems like a very strange marital decision to take your pregnant wife 70 miles through hilly terrain, right? This seems like a confusing thing for him to do. But my bet is a lot of us actually intuitively know why he wouldn't want to leave his wife behind. Because if she is near the end of her pregnancy, if she's in the eighth month or the ninth month, he doesn't want to be gone down to Bethlehem if she goes into labor. These two reasons are very common for people to say, this is why Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But I want us to consider at least one more. Think about this little town of Nazareth. Think about what that whole little town thinks that Mary did. Think about what sin they think Mary committed. Everybody knows she got pregnant out of wedlock. She was just the fiancé of Joseph when she started growing that belly. So perhaps, perhaps, right, they, mo- they both, both of them say, okay, well, we didn't sleep together, but everyone would have rolled their eyes and said, we really know what happened. And in the Bible, what can happen to a woman caught in the act of adultery? You can get stoned. You can get executed, all right? So I think that Joseph takes Mary with him to protect her. Think about this. Pregnant Mary is not safe in Nazareth. From the moment that she said yes to God and the Son of God was conceived in her, she was in danger. She would be immediately seen as a pregnant teenager who slept with somebody she shouldn't have slept with. So this fact makes you wonder, when Jesus protects the woman caught in the act of adultery, did he think about his father protecting his mother? Right? These are human reasons that help us understand, okay, they had a lot of motivations to all go together, all go to Bethlehem, but guess what? We still don't know God's reasons for Bethlehem. Bethlehem is so important in the Old Testament. This is the city where David becomes anointed by the prophet Samuel. This is such an important town in the Old Testament. And if Jesus is the descendant of David, if he is supposed to sit on the throne of David, it makes perfect sense that God would want him right there when he 
is born. Remember, the angel says to the shepherds, today in the town of David, right, a Savior is born to you. Bethlehem has symbolic meaning throughout the Old Testament. But not only that, there is a prophecy in the Old Testament that this is exactly where the Messiah would be born. The prophet Micah lives over 600 centuries before Jesus was born, and guess what God said? But you, read the next, verse, next word with me, Bethlehem, okay? But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. I want us to say those three words in bold together, okay? Ruler over Israel. God centuries before it was even a thought in Caesar's head, said, I know where my Messiah, my ruler, my king is going to come. He's going to come out of this small little town, Bethlehem. But the symbolic significance doesn't stop there. Some of you may know this city from the Old Testament, Bethel. Beth means house of in Hebrew. El means God. Lehem in Hebrew means bread. So Bethlehem means house of bread. What does Jesus say about himself? I am the bread of life. God wants the bread of life to be born in the house of bread. Do you see there are human reasons for Joseph to go to Bethlehem? There are human reasons to protect Mary and take her all the way to Bethlehem. But God has his divine reasons for why he wants his son to be born in that city at that time which helps us understand our next question. Why did Jesus lay in a manger? Now, you've probably heard this said a million times at church. If you grew up in church, Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem, and there was no room for them at the inn. Thank you. I was relying on y'all saying that, okay? That word gives modern Americans the impression of the Holiday Inn Express, right? We picture like all the hotels in Bethlehem are booked up for the night. So they've got to find a stable out in a field somewhere for Mary to give birth. But in is not the word that Luke uses. He uses the word ketalima. This is a word used for the guest room in a family's home. Now, here's the layout of a typical house in Bethlehem. They were very simple, okay? Everyone, and I really do mean everyone, slept in the same room, kind of the living room. And you may think that's gross, but that's, that's how it worked, okay? Mom, dad, kids, everybody, one room, okay? The guest room on the side was for hospitality because hospitality is a crucial value for Jews, okay? So this means that Joseph took his pregnant wife to a relative's home. And guess what they said? There's no room in the guest room. There's no room in the guest room. Now, we don't know why there was no room. Maybe other members of Joseph's family had already shown up, right? Everybody's coming to the same town for the census, right? Maybe Joseph's family apologized and said, I'm sorry, Joseph, your aunt and uncle, they got here first. Maybe he was more mean-spirited. You can't sleep in the guest room because she shouldn't be pregnant. You can sleep over there by the trough cut into the ground. We, we don't know. All we know is that Joseph and Mary bring the Son of God into the world where animals eat. 
okay? I'm not telling you this so that you go home and throw your nativities away, okay? They're keep them on display. We have like 12 in our house. We love nativities in the East Home. All I'm saying is don't picture Joseph and Mary going to each Best Western and being turned away because it's all booked. He went to his family's house, and they said, we're sorry, there's no guest room available. And you got to ask yourself if this is true, and they had to give birth to Jesus. I shouldn't have said they. Mary had to give birth to Jesus next to a trough. Is that space fit for a king? Is this where God should be born? This is where Mary gave birth to the Messiah. I mean, when, when Simon was born, he was put under this nice little heating station. Jesus, our Savior, was wrapped in a cloth and laid in the closest container possible, a trough where animals eat, right? That's the human reason why he was laid in a manger. But our question is, why does God want Jesus to be put in a manger? Well, remember that he is the bread of life, and he's born in the house of bread. He is put there as if he is food, because what do animals get from a trough? They get food. The trough, the manger, tells us that Jesus has come to be food for a hungry world. He has come to feed us. Years ago, my brothers and two of our best friends actually got to go to Bethlehem, and we found out on this tour that a lot of Christians believe that Jesus was born in a cave. And I remember when our tour guide told us, I thought, well, they haven't read their Bible. That's not in there. Uh, but it's actually in the historical record. The Romans found out about this cave where early Christians believed Jesus was born. And they built this pagan garden around the cave kind of as an insult to Christians. Oh, this is where your Savior is born. We're going to worship pagan gods over here. The irony is that when the Roman Empire became Christian, they found that shrine, they found that garden and said, thanks, we'll turn this into a church. And you can go there today. You can go to this church of the nativity and you can actually crawl down into this cave. My brothers and I went there and we saw it. And you may wonder, well, how can you say, Mitch, that Jesus was born in Joseph's family's home, but also a cave? Well, poor Jews built their homes into and next to caves. It was a natural structure. It took no expense to build. It was cool and dark in there. They would use it for stabling animals, almost like an ancient version of a stable, which I think explains exactly why the shepherds know where to go. I don't know if any of y'all find this funny. This may just be a thing for preachers, but I think it's hilarious that the angel says the sign, the information that you need to find the Messiah is that it will be a baby, right? Not a grown man with some army or some impressive person wrapped in cloths, not royal robes, and lying in a manger, in a trough. To me, I think that doesn't seem like enough information to know which of all the homes in Bethlehem to find a baby, unless you're a shepherd you know where caves are, and you know that people build their homes into those caves. This is all the information they need to find out where the Messiah is born. They don't waste any time, and they immediately find him. This is the human reason why the shepherds know exactly where to go. But our question is, what is the divine reason? Why would God, of all the professions out there, choose shepherds? He could have chosen scribes. He could have chosen cloth makers. He could have chosen a carpenter. Wouldn't that have been perfect? Why shepherds? Well, the fact is, 
that God promised, he promised all the way back in the prophet Ezekiel to raise up a shepherd for Israel. I want to read this verse out to you from Ezekiel chapter 34. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. I will place over them one shepherd. One shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. Just like Ezekiel prophesied. So God handpicks shepherds and he says, I want them to be the witnesses of the true shepherd that Ezekiel is talking about. Micah foretold the location of his birth. Ezekiel foresaw his purpose. Jesus himself says, I am the good shepherd. Of course, he chose this profession of all the people. There's one more reason. This is amazing to me, y'all. Sheep from the region of Bethlehem were often used in the sacrifices in the temple. Let me show you a map. You may not be familiar with this place. On the left-hand side, you'll see the the whole nation of Israel. On the right-hand side, you'll see the red line come down, and it sweeps around Jerusalem. Do you see that? Do you see what I'm talking about? It kind of makes this inroad all the way into Jerusalem, and right below the city of Jerusalem is the city of Bethlehem. They're right next to each other which means that the priests in the temple would go down to Bethlehem, they would go to those fields, and they would buy sheep for sacrifices. And guess what the prophet Isaiah says about the Messiah? He was oppressed and afflicted. He did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, he did not open his mouth. This is all predicted ahead of time. This is all prophesied centuries in advance. Micah says we know the city of his birth. Ezekiel says we know his role and the witnesses of his mission. And Isaiah prophesies his sacrifice. So why Bethlehem? Why a manger? Why shepherds? We have good reasons to know what this is all about. God is trying to reveal who Jesus is through these details. He is saying Jesus is God's shepherd. He is the bread of life. He is food for a hungry world. He's the son of David. He's the sheep sacrificed in Jerusalem. Yes, there are human explanations that help us understand these familiar facts of this story, but God's reasons are so much deeper, so much more impressive, and they show us who our Savior really is. One of the very first people mentioned in this passage is Caesar. And imagine just being a Jew in the first century under this level of power. This is a man who claimed to be the son of God, the savior of the world. He rules the entire empire. He can snap his finger, call for a census, and everybody has to travel all over the country just to register for a census. You might think if you lived in that time, Caesar's in charge. He does whatever he wants. But what's amazing is before this is ever a plan in Caesar's mind, this is a plan in the mind of God. And that shows us that God is in charge of history, not Caesar. It's not even this governor who's mentioned. It's not even Joseph. 
It's not the shepherds. It's not you and me. God is in charge. There is no detail in this passage worth ignoring. Luke claims at the beginning of his gospel that he interviewed eyewitnesses. And a lot of the church fathers believed that Luke, one of his interviewees, was Mary. Which makes perfect sense for how we know some of these stories. You can imagine her saying, at the end of all of this, I really treasured up all those things and I pondered them in my heart. This is what I think we have to do with any story that we've become familiar with. We have to ask ourselves, why? God, why did you want it this way instead of another way? These details, surely they matter. And every time when we treasure these things in our hearts, when we ponder them, we realize more about God and his son. My prayer is that we would be like Mary, that we would treasure these very familiar facts, ponder them in our hearts and minds, and come to a greater knowledge of who Jesus is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time this morning to reflect on a, on a familiar story. We may have heard it before growing up. We've seen it demonstrated in countless nativities. God, we ask that you deepen our knowledge of who Jesus is. We don't just want to know this superficial, surface-level information or details. We want to see Jesus as our true shepherd who tends us like sheep in a flock. We want to see him as the bread of life who was put in a feeding trough to show us that he is the bread of life born in the house of bread. God, we want to see him as the sheep, the lamb sacrificed on our behalf for our sins. We don't want to confuse him with just another interesting historical figure. We know that he is the center of history. And God, you are in charge of history. Help us as we read scripture to always look at these details and ponder them closely. We know that there is infinite treasure there. We can always return to this bottomless well to learn more about who you and your son really are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.